Growing up, you and your buddies were always on the same page. Thursday was pickup basketball night. Saturday was an Xbox gaming binge, but then the buddies started falling off one by one. So what if they all have that ring on their finger and you're the only single bachelor left? You've got your own bling. And this one doesn't come with any commitment, just a few really good moments of chill bliss. Why the sheets not go for the gold? For a limited time at Sheets, get your hands on a $3.99 milkshake like the Toffrees. Made with Hershey's Heath Bars. Unwind with golden ribbons of buttery caramel and a heaping scoop of whipped cream. And don't forget, you can save $1 when you order on the app. At Sheets, there are endless options when it comes to delicious drinks. Coffee house style cold brews, hot coffees, lattes, shakes, refreshers, and so much more. Everything is customizable so you always get exactly what you want. And when we say always, we mean 24-7-365. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rovers Chat Podcast. It's been a topsy-turvy week for Rovers. Losing a two-goal lead against Coventry was followed up by a lacklustre loss against QPR. Saturday brought a 2-0 victory though and leaves us just one point outside of the playoffs. We discussed that and much more in this episode of the Rovers Chat Podcast. Before that though, obviously I want to welcome back Alex and Ollie, both stalwarts of the podcast along with myself. Alex, jump to you straight away. How are you doing? Uh, thanks Tom, yeah I'm doing well. I think it's always better to record immediately following a win rather than probably record on Wednesday night after a loss. So um, I think it's that sort of the topsy-turvy point in the season. Uh, when you're approaching Christmas and in typical Rob style, we never fail to entertain and disappoint and any measure, I suppose. So, um, yeah, glad to be on and uh, talk about the last few games and some of the questions that some of the uh, listeners have sent in. So, yeah, looking forward to it. No, certainly isn't. Like you say, Rob is consistently inconsistent, um, is the way I describe them. So... You never know what you're going to get, do you? Um, it's called Forest Gump. It's like a box of chocolates. Ollie, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, nice. To, yeah, as Alex says, uh, would be probably a slightly different podcast if we hadn't won at the weekend following with, with extending another, a bad run. So, yeah, jump on the opportunity to record with a slightly more positive note, which is good. It certainly will be more positive note, given we beat Redden in the end. Um, though I hate to break it to you, lads, we will be speaking about Coventry first, and then probably also the QPR game. So I'll let you get a bit depressed, and then as we work through the podcast, hopefully you'll get a bit happier. And then by the end, I'm sure you'll be absolutely buzzing when we speak about that 2-0 victory against Reading. But I want you to cast your minds back to that um, defeat against Coventry first. Wasn't good, was it? Um, Two-goal lead yet again that we've lost. Alex, you mentioned something before the podcast about how it's also the same amount, and surprising for you to be fair, it's actually quite a positive mindset, that we've won as many games from 2 positions as well as as many as we've lost. But is it a concern that it's twice now? It's four points dropped. 
I hate to do this because there's going to be plenty of teams that look at it like this in the Championship, thinking, well, we should have picked up points there, should have done that. Four points puts us three points inside the playoffs. And perhaps there's not quite as much criticism directed at Morbury. Deserved criticism, I might add. Um, but there's not as much criticism directed at him. What, what's your views on on the fact that it's on two occasions now, Coventry being the second, that we've we've lost that two goal lead and ended up dropping for uh, well two points with Coventry, but obviously with the lose game, four points as a result. Well, I think it's a sensible question to ask. I don't think it's a silly question at all. I think ultimately the teams that complained the least about the points they've dropped at the end of the season are the ones that get promoted. So the less we complain about spurning stupid points, the better we'll be doing in the division. So it's good for everyone, isn't it? Um, my frustration when you do look at the games and, and, and going 2-0 up, um, I think one thing that hasn't helped us is we've tended to score two goals very quickly. Quick succession, bang, bang, um, within five ten minutes of each other and I think it's the mentality of going from a nil-nil game that's usually quite tight in this division I mean Rovers haven't really dominated games like all hands to the pump like we might have done in certain games last year so you're going from that mentality of being in a tight nil-nil game to suddenly being 2-0 up and I think it's that kind of shock of going 2-0 up in a kind of sudden sudden way it affects the mentality of the team a little bit. They don't know whether to sit off or whether to push on and try and get more goals. And I think that's probably resulted in getting caught out a couple of times. I think I think the Luton game, you could probably say slightly different than the Coventry game in the sense of the, the equaliser was literally at the death of the game. Whereas the Coventry equaliser was much sooner in the game and you almost worried that we'd lose the game in the end, the way, the way things were shaping up. But... Obviously, that we didn't lose the game, so you've got to obviously take that as a small positive. Um, I think the the big thing that concerns me is the away form, and that means that when you get 2-0 up at home, which we've done twice this season and not gone on to win, that makes those results even more important because I'm looking at away games at the moment and thinking, oh, I don't really fancy us to get anything there oh, I'm not sure we'll get anything there either. And it's when you keep doing that over and over again means that the home form is so paramount and so important to pick up those points. Um, because like you say, overall, the home form has been pretty good this season so far. I think it's four wins, two draws and a defeat, which you can't really sniff out with the defeat being against West Brom. But our away form has been so bad that we're mid-table, we're 12th, slap bang in the middle of the league. So obviously... It's a case of just the disappointment and the frustration because it could be so much better than it is. I think the final thing I'd say is that I had a look at the league table earlier today and other than the top three, which seem to be in a league of their own uh, at the moment, those being West Brom, Fulham and Bournemouth, other than those teams, we have the best goal difference in the division. Um, And that probably shows that we're probably slightly lower than we should be based on the number of goals we've scored and conceded. I know it's not a straight rule, but it tends to be that the teams with the worst goal differences tend to be at the bottom and the teams with the best tend to be nearer the top. So I certainly think it's not all negativity. It's not an unleavened diet of negativity, but obviously the more this continues to take place and if it 
continues to happen throughout the season, then obviously question marks will keep being brought up about it. But I think the only way Rovers can respond to that is by doing what they did on Saturday and going on to win the game. But like I say, Coventry, very frustrating, disappointing in the sense of, I think they're a beatable team, even though with the position they're in in the division, I don't think they're an outstanding side. We should have gone on to manage the game better than we did. But unfortunately, we are a young team and we succumb to that. And I'll let Ollie and, uh, go on to maybe discuss things further. But I think that those thoughts probably sum up how I'm feeling about, about that, really. You're obviously right what you say with regards to the the league. They've obviously been slap bang in the middle of it in 12th. We are only a point off the playoffs. I, I do see what you're saying. Um, but it does show those fine margins when you do lose those two goal leads that that's the sort of stuff that can come back to bite you. Um, Ollie, I just want to speak a bit about Sam Gallagher in the Coventry game. Now, he received quite a lot of stick on Twitter after the game. Obviously, got the goal and the assist and was in the Championship team of the week. But, like I said, on Twitter, it wasn't... It wasn't horrible criticism, but there was clearly a bit of anger towards him. Now, I wasn't at the game. I was working, so I, I'm unsure in his performance. I think, unfortunately, all three of us won't have been at the game. So perhaps this isn't your best panel to speak about um, the Coventry game. But do you think sometimes that the Sam Gallagher criticism is unfair? I know we're going to speak a little bit later about that trio of Gallagher, to Gallagher, Brereton and Dolan and how they've come on this season. But just before we get on to that later on, do you think it is unfair that the criticism Gallagher received? Obviously, Team of the Week last week in the Championship is in this week's Team of the Week as well. He's doing something right. Whether or not it's right enough, I don't know. I think in the... In the context of his entire time as a permanent signing, he a level of criticism is warranted because I, don't, I think you can never escape your price tag, which in the grand scheme of football isn't a lot, but it's a lot of money to Blackburn. And, you know, we've had, he's one of two players that cost us a lot of money in recent years um, who under-delivered for long enough to cause quite a lot of alarm and frustration. So it's, that's fine. Um, and actually, I think any criticism of him prior to this season is perfectly justified because, for, yeah, for those reasons. But I think with, you sell a 28 goal a season striker, um, obviously we tried to sign, Madger would have been great, uh, but that didn't happen. So then we were left with, right, we've got, somebody's got to play in the middle of that three. Um, and we don't really think we've actually got a striker, a goal scoring striker to do that. Um, put Brereton to one side, who we'll talk about, but I don't know. <laughs> to criticise someone who scored and assisted in a game, I know that he had some leggy moments. And I think some of the criticism centred around the, gave the ball away that led to their first goal, which obviously starts the comeback, changes the complexion of the game. Fine. Um, but we didn't lose the match. Um, but yeah, I think I was, I think that's hard to criticise a player that 
has contributed the hardest things to do in a football match are score goals and he was part of both of them um and actually that goal and his goal at the weekend actually and pretty much i think the every goal he scored this season the most impressive thing has been that their strikers goals he's most of the goals he scored this season are either reacting first to something which i think he's been very guilty of even last season kind of stood on his heels in the box um but i think he's he's been sort of one touch finish or following through on a whether it's come back off the post or it's been saved by the keeper or it's come off a defender he's almost been the first akin one. to how like graham was when he was scoring yeah, those goals or tappings and it was just the right, right place right time he looks different this year um because that's he was never doing that um you know he did get the odd goal but it was it wasn't like that and you know, he's even scored a couple of one-on-ones where I think, yeah, straight through. I think that was the goal, his goal against Coventry. Um, I think it was a pass through to him and it was just a touch and finish, but a very confident finish. And even the goal at the weekend was ball comes off the inside of the post. Who's the first one to it? It's not a Coventry defender clearing it for a corner. It's our striker finishing up the move. So we need goals. We had a 28-goal hold fill and I know this leads on to what you want to say um I don't know I think yeah he had some bad moments in that game but there's too much to be hopeful of of what he's been doing along with Dolan and Brereton to be overly negative really um we're a side that you know people thought we were going to finish down here just above the relegation zone and you guys have just been talking about points totals and how close we are to the playoffs and that we have sat in the playoffs. So we're only going to get there if we keep scoring goals. So I, yeah, you know, he's going to be an important part of scoring goals. So he's certainly uh, doing something right. And you just said at the end there, an important part of scoring goals. Now there's someone that I know that I've been quite critical of for his consistency. And obviously you've come to his his defense every single time, Ollie. And, And that's Joe Rothwell. This season, he seems a different beast, I think. At times in the past, we've seen him in fits and flashes, haven't we, where he'll do something superb one week, but the next week he'll go missing. This season, he's doing it week in, week out, where it's every single time he's on the ball. It really is. It's, when he's got the ball, it's, it's a joy to watch. The way he can drive through the small little gaps in defence. Again, I know we're not speaking about the Coventry game, we're speaking about the QPR, sorry, we're not speaking about the Redden game, we're speaking about the Coventry game, but just a little ball roll when he was off balance, just to poke it through to hit the post. Obviously, Gallagher got the rebound. He did the same against Coventry, obviously puts it over the keeper's head. Should we be throwing money at Joe Rothwell to stay at this club? If you believe the papers and the the media, a move to range is all but done. Um, I imagine they're signing him for quite a bit of money, to be fair. Not from Rovers, as in his, his pay, pay packet there. Should we not be doing all we can to say, look, we want to build a team around you? Because there's no player that can do what he can do. There's no player, and he's not an easy player to replace. No, um, yeah, I mean, I've never made any secret about, yeah, he's my kind of, <laughs> I'm his number one fan. Um I don't know. It, this people can shout me if they want, but I, I think he's the. I think he's always been doing this. Um, maybe not. 
I mean, I don't like the word consistency because has he always been good at picking up the ball and driving forward and taking it around lots of players? Yes, he has done. He has always done that. Um, I think a lot of it's about making sure making sure he stays in the right positions on the pitch and he's fed the ball in space to carry it forward. That's obviously down to him, but I think he's very good at, if he's played in the right area of the pitch, I think he's very good at finding, getting in those pockets to get the ball on the half turn and drive forward. So I, I often think there's, it's really for Mowbray to dictate the back, you know, you need to play through the lines and get it into his feet around the halfway line. And that's, that's really integral to our forward play. Um, should have scored against Swansea. So he should have a couple of goals to his name, not just the one. Um, but I think he'd have a few more assists this season. I think he's he's done the work to set up goals that have been missed. And I actually think they'd probably, if I could be bothered to go back and work it out for the last few seasons, I think kind of non-unfinished assists, as in he's, He's done all of that work because people only look at the hard numbers as in how many sisters he got. And, you know, it's, I think it's four now for this season, but I think it'd be a couple more. Um, but we're quite early into the season. And if he's going to carry on that kind of rate of assisting goals, he's going to be well into double figures. And you're talking, you are getting into, I, I'm not making, I said this last week, not making a direct comparison, but, his he needs to be aiming to be like an Emmy Buendia or a Saeed Ben Rama. That's that's the type of player he should be for us. As in, Joe, you get you get kind of ten to fifteen assists. You you are like an absolutely linchpin of all of our goals. But you know he's on, you know he's on to get into double figures for assists for the season, which is much better than previous seasons for sure. Um, but yeah. Um, I think people should take note of it's not, you know, it's not Sheffield United trying to poach him from us um, within the championship. It's people have different opinions about the Scottish Premier League, but he's the best club in that division who play in Europe, etc. cetera. Um, want him. It's, I, to me, it's fairly obvious why they would want him. Um, and yeah, they would offer him a lot more wages than we can. Um yeah, I think it's, you have to throw money, an affordable amount of money, but, you know, I think Mowbray said something this week, he he did comment on contracts in the Langs Telegraph, and he said they are at a bit of an impasse with some contracts, whether that's, he didn't mention names, whether that is Rothwell and Nyambe, as opposed to Brereton and etc. You You might want to guess which ones are at impasse and which aren't. Um, but if it boils down to money, um, and he, you know, he wants, you know, I think he's, yeah, he he's got a family. So if someone says, right, you, you get this much week at Blackburn, you're going to get over double that at Rangers, and you get, yeah, it's difficult. But we really should try and do whatever we can to try and keep him because, like you say, once he's gone, he's a very difficult player to replace. There's only so many. You know, we got him for peanuts from Oxford, really. And likewise, how many times are we going to pull a Bradley Dack out of Gillingham? If you're looking for that type of creative player, they're given their cost for what they can offer to us as a club. They're two very good signings for the money. And but yeah, you only have to look at 
the type of money Villa paid and West Ham paid to get two players that are a cut above Rothwell for sure. But you are, you know, you're talking massive money for that type, for that standard of player. Um, even someone. like the likes of Jared Bowen as well, that when he went to West Ham, you're, that's what Rothwell should be pitching himself, getting himself into those types of numbers in terms of his productivity. Um, and he's got the attributes are there and, you know, we've seen, we've started, to, you know, we are seeing it this season. Um, so, yeah, it's, but it's a tricky one because if, if he says no, he's going to, he'll go. So, um, I think we, we saw, didn't we, at Oxford around his contract down to come to us at the time. We were the ones that held all the cards. Now, obviously, it's it's, it's not us that hold them cards. <sighs> Wouldn't bloom for leaving. The money would be better at Rangers. I imagine we'd be able to offer him something similar. It's whether or not the club are willing to do so. But they play in Europe as well, don't they? He could not blame for leaving. I think the majority of Rovers fans, if not all Rovers fans, would wish him well his future endeavours type thing but it is frustrating it does highlight a huge concern that there's a few players and four that come to mind immediately are Lenehan, Brereton Rothwell and Nyambi now less so with Brereton because I think if we'd have offered him a contract 12 months ago for another three years people would have scoffed at the idea so I think it's unfair to have a go at the club for that one because he wasn't in the position that we needed to offer him a contract the way that he was performing however Rothwell we knew the ability. Why wasn't that tied down? Why didn't someone try and do it? And if they did, why haven't they been trying harder? Niambi should have been tied down about two or three years ago to a long-term contract. Um, but obviously, Mowbray likes playing Elliot Bennett at right back instead. And then, I mean, Darren Lennon has clearly been a captain in waiting for quite some time. Why wasn't the same deal offered to him um, a couple of years ago? It is what it is. Frustrating, but What's the point in looking at it like that? Hopefully, um, all contracts get signed um, and there's no issues. Um, I have a feeling there's going to be a couple, though. Moving on, though, from that commentary game, um, I want to speak a little bit about QPR and Tony Mowbray. I'm sort of going to amalgamate the two because after the QPR result, there was obviously a vocal section of Robes fans, and I do include myself in that. Um, probably basically saying he should be sacked. Um Alex, to you straight away, do you think that was an overreaction from the Rovers fans? And like I said, I was vocal on Twitter about it. I mentioned that I felt like the writing was on the wall for him after the performance and after the comments made before and after the game that completely contradicted them. Was it a bit of an overreaction, though, when you take into account our place in the table and what the expectations were this season? We had a podcast saying that we thought we finished 18th. 14 games in were 12 for the point of the playoffs. If anything, from our expectations, we are overachieving. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think I would probably condense the fans' feeling down to this, that I think a lot of fans can accept us losing 1-0 away at QPR. We've had far worse results than that. We will have far worse results than that probably this season. What I don't think the fans can accept is deception from the manager. So, before the game, claiming that we were going to London to control the game and play in a very positive manner, and then in the first sentence, past match, say that we came out to frustrate, 
Now those two things can't be <laughs> can't be made sense of from the same person. Um, so I think that's probably what riled the fans up the most. Probably coupled with the lack of acknowledgement of um, the support and the 800 that uh, trekked all the way down to London on a Tuesday night. So I think those those couple of facts probably weighed against him. I think what does weigh in his favour is, like you say, the probably pre-season expectations. I do think that those expectations were outlined prior to many of the signings we did make towards the end of the window. Um, and the... In our pre-season pod, of... though, that was after the window shut. And we were... Yes. All three of us were vocal. Yeah. I think Ollie was a bit more... Positive, I think you said 10th mm. or something, but we both said about 18th, 15th, and that was and, after the signs one, been made. So, one of the reasons I said 18th was taking into account the manager we had, um, and thinking that that manager would probably not um, get this squad of players high in the league as, say, another manager would. Um, this is a really difficult question. I think, um, obviously, a lot of people associate me with Colin Mowbray's head, and I'm not going to back away from that. I think if I was probably in charge, I would have um, got rid last season, and I would have got rid in that horrendous run of form, that two wins in 17. And I think any club that's run properly will properly would have done the same. But that's gone. I think I've probably been vindicated in the apathy of the fan base. I think the reduction in season ticket sales and general ticket sales has vindicated my view that people were pretty fed up at the end of last season with the way the club was kind of moving in in that kind of direction. And I think we've not really seen any bounce back throughout this season in terms of ticket sales indicates that those fans have maybe reconsidered in light of doing slightly better than we thought we would do. So I think those points are still valid. What I would say about Marbury is he's obviously fighting for his managerial career. He is in the last year of his contract and probably thinks that if rumours are to be believed that we were speaking to managers at the end of last season, that his contract won't be renewed. Now, you can never tell me that Venkis are consistent and they could quite easily give him a new three-year contract tomorrow, for all I know. But I think probably the mood, the mood music that he's reading is that he's unlikely to get a new deal, and so he's probably fighting for his own future. I think the one thing that always concerns me about managers is a little bit of the cult of personality that surrounds it, almost a moral superiority in thinking that you are behind the guy in charge. And I think that as Rovers fans, and probably that that's, that is a shrinking number at the moment for the reasons I've just said, that if we can't get behind the fact that we're all Rovers fans, we want the best for the club, then we might as well pack up and go home. Just because I say want a particular manager to leave the club doesn't mean I have malicious intentions and want the club to do badly. Equally, I don't think anyone who proposes that the manager stay deliberately wants the club to do badly. So I think we've all got to accept that we've got differing opinions on the way forward for the club. And uh, we all 
love the club dearly. We all want it to to do as well as it possibly can. Um, and we've got kind of different approaches to doing that and, and proposing that. I think my reaction after the game, I didn't post anything particularly on social media. It was mainly in the private group chat that we've got, Rather's chat. But m- my main frustration was the predictability of it and the the fact that the manager has done this before and come out before the game and, and, and said lots of things and then reneged on it after the game. And I think that probably just upset me slightly. And then I was probably tipped over the edge by the discovery that the fans weren't acknowledged at the end of the game. I just didn't like that fact. And I think all those things put together and my opinions from last season probably carried over into this season. I would probably say that my emotions got the better of me, but what do you it, expect? It is an, it is an emotional I want the Rovers to win every game of football that we play. And so is it is it particularly bad that I got upset after a game and maybe said something that two days later I thought on reflection was maybe a bit silly? I, I won't betray my former self like that. And I just think that, yeah, we're all Rovers fans. We all want the club to do well and we, we all have different approaches of going about that. And I think that whether you're for or against this manager doesn't change that fact. It doesn't. And football's fueled on emotion. We see it all the time. I think managers, players, us as fans, we're completely fueled by emotion. This podcast is fueled by our emotion for the club and our passion for the club. Oli, you were one of the ones that were in the, the crowd um, against QPR. As a fan, a paying fan, you went there. Mowbray gave this spiel about going there, controlling the game, taking it to them. This is a team that, if my if I'm correct, I think I'd looked at it before, they got the fourth worst defence in the league. So they're not very good defensively. We scored quite a few. I think we had the top scorer in the league at the time. Um, Mitrovic has since overtaken him. But at the time, we had the top scorer on the pitch. Is it not a bit infuriating, that a bit of an indictment, I guess, of Mowbray's tenure at the club since promotion, that he tries too hard to counteract what the opposition do rather than trying to make them counteract us? I understand that we're not necessarily the best team in the league, so it's not a case of we'll play our way and we'll win. But when you go to a club that do ship goals, and I think in the top half of the table have shipped the most goals, you try and frustrate them and... and Sneak a one nil win. QPR fans were even saying it was a bit of a joke, and they felt sorry for us with the way that we set up and how we played. Just to finish off on this Mowbray QPR chat. No, how did you, how did, from, as, as a paying fan, paying customer that night, how did you feel? Yeah, not not cheap tickets as well. QPR, thank you very much. <laughs> if you're listening, uh, no, I uh, I don't know. I might I don't know whether I'll annoy people. Um, I, I, I wasn't that bothered. It felt like a very typical tight knife edge game against two of the, as things currently stand on the table, slightly better teams in the championship. Um, I don't know, a fan base that largely thought we were going to be bottom half and narrowly avoid relegation you know, a, a big reaction to a very narrow loss at 
the two dark horses for this season, pretty much according to any official punditry, were Stoke and QPR. They are two of the better sides out of the Bournemouth and the relegated sides. Um, they've been very good this season. They've got one of the best players in the league in Ilias Chair, um, who scored. I We did control the game for about 55 minutes to an hour. QPR, given their, the nature of their strike force and the form that Dykes is in, they did nothing in the first half. We did, we did control the first half. I thought we looked very comfortable in our defensive system. The biggest letdown, if there was a letdown to our performance, was we weren't quite at it going forwards. But Brereton may be a little bit quite rightly, maybe a touch tired, um, which is probably fair enough, um, given all of his travelling and, you know, Gallagher on the bench, Rothwell on the bench. I'd, I'd be annoyed about those types of decisions. I overarchingly thought we were okay um, in a very tight game. The biggest issues for me were, yeah, possibly not starting Gallagher, possibly not starting Rothwell. But then um, the system employed to kind of nullify QPR. If you look at the amount of goals they've scored, Preston went down there, got themselves 2-0 up, or I can't remember how the scoring went, but they lost 3-2. I think if you want to go down there and try and outscore them, as much, as open as they are, you they will give you chances if you want to gamble and go that way. But they will also score lots of goals against you. So... If the game plan was keep it tight for an hour and then bring on Gallagher, bring on Rothwell and try and win the game, that's that is a way that is a very, very good way of trying to win away games in the championship against the better sides. So no issue from my point of view with that. Travis and Eden were doing a fantastic job in midfield, like really, really good. For me, some of the game changed with Travis having to go off, gave QPR a bit of a foothold in the first half. Um, and then with the injury to Pickering as well, Eden having to go out to left back, which is a obvious, it's an obvious switch, but it's an enforced switch. Um, we never looked quite right from then on. And although we had a little bit of a head of steam for five, 10 minutes at the start of the second half and they nearly put the ball into their own net with one of our best moves so we nearly actually went ahead in the game um then we did they did turn up the pressure but sort of felt as if we'd weathered the storm and then you know the one moment chair is in space outside the box and can have a sight of goal he's a top top quality player in this league he scores it it's a game that boiled down to one moment if Travis and Eden had been in central midfield, I'm not sure that goal goes in, but I'm not going to... Did we deserve to lose the game? Very tight. We probably didn't deserve to win it, but, you know, I, you look at a season where people are looking at points totals and our position in the league, win your home games, don't lose your away games. If we'd, It's not very exciting, but if we'd gone to QPR, drawn nil-nil, kept it quite tight and taken a point. That's a fantastic result. So to to be really angry that we lost on a such a fine margin where actually had we not had to make tactical switches because of injuries, the goal that came about 
may not have happened, but you know, it's not about ifs, buts, and maybes. We did lose the game. To me, I felt that I can understand the reaction because it. I think we talked about before the season opened how easily things could turn. Um, I think the bad, you know, the drop points, the drop points um, in the home games, what happened at Huddersfield, what happened at Blackpool, those are games to be annoyed about. And we were. But then the QPR game comes at the end of that. And so I think it was like a residual reaction to we're frustrated and annoyed that we've now, are, you know, we've now lost another game. And, you know, whereas where we were sat in the top six, I understand the frustration, but in a, as a singular match, there was nothing wrong well, with it. Almost like a, a swell of emotion that, that just Yeah, hurts. which is, un- I understand. And in terms of Mowbray, I have to confess, I, I was at the top of this, I sprinted at the whistle because I was going to, I had to get connecting trains. So I didn't, I missed whether Mowbray came over or not. I don't know. And I probably, I don't care because I managed to get my trains. So <laughs> if, I'd missed, if I'd missed my train, I that would have been a disaster. So um, he should, but actually I shouldn't make light of it. You know, it's a long way for lots of fans to travel. London games always get towards a thousand fans. Um, even, you know, even when we've been, you know, down in League One, down in the Championship, um, you should like, irrespective whether it win, lose, draw, thrashing, whatever. You should always go over and acknowledge the fans. So that that is poor, and there's no reason not to. Um, but I, I missed it. So uh, you're speaking like a man that's got a missus and a child at home, a newborn yeah, child. Well, I had. So you know, I don't a, think anyone can blame you. Yeah, I'm in a because it was sort of it was a. I got to go to the game, but it kind of you've got to do favors off the back of that. So yeah, missing the train was a total no go. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, your missus would have been too too happy with that no. if she was looking after the baby for two hundred on. You can't blame her to be fair. So. Fair play, no. don't, don't blame you at all for, for jumping off straight away. Um, moving on, though, from the QPR game and Tony Mowbray, hopefully now we'll speak about something a little bit more happy and also a little bit more, little bit more fresh in the memory. Obviously, Redden at home, it was a, a decent performance, I must say. I think first half was a bit cat and mouse, wasn't it? But, Alex, it was another quick-fire double. We spoke earlier in the show about how... We've been 2-0 up and lost. Oh, sorry, dropped points uh, on two occasions. 2-0, though, quick fire again. Um, we're making quite a habit of it, aren't we? When we do win those games, does it not does it sort of knock the, the wind out of team sales? You said before that sometimes it can almost shock us a little bit and we drop a bit too deep. But on the opposite end, Reading, those two goals finished them. They had nothing. And you saw it against Cardiff as well, and we went two and up quickly against them. It completely knocks the wind out of the sails of the opposition, doesn't it? I think the best example of of the point that I tried to make earlier was if you cast your minds back to all the way to League One, and we played Wigan at home, didn't we? And we went two and up in the first half, and we were pegged back to two all by the end of the game. And I think the earlier you go 2-0 up in a game, if you don't 
particularly if, if you score two goals pretty quick in quick succession of one another, I think it's much harder to kind of maintain that for the rest of the game. I think if you maybe score in the first 10 minutes and then score again just before half-time, that's totally different, obviously, and reflects that you've probably been more dominant throughout the whole game. But obviously, it's in football, it is possible to have a good five minutes and go 2-0 up. But and like I said, though, in, in the, the case with the Reading game, um, it completely knocked the wind out of their sails. In a similar way that Blackpool knocked the wind out of our sails, when they got their early goal, mm. it completely knocked us back. It can only be a positive thing that we're getting these quick-fire doubles, that when, when we're in the ascendancy, we are punishing teams. Oh, I'm not complaining that we're scoring goals. I mean, um, the biggest worry coming into this season was... How would we fare without Armstrong and Elliot and um, scoring goals and creating chances? And I think there's question marks away from Arm for sure in terms of creativity and creating chances and scoring. But definitely at home, we seem to have found the right balance with regards to going forward. Not so sure about maybe defensively. There's still one or two question marks there. But certainly while we're keeping clean sheets and while we're winning games, you've got to praise it, I think. Um as I said before, it's all about the point in which it happens in the game. We caught Reading at exactly the right time. They'd just blown a 2 nil lead of their own in the midweek against Blackpool. and gone on to lose the game. And they turn up at Ewood. And I would probably say the deflation from, from that that Reading carried into the Rovers game was compounded by conceding those two quick goals and then you know, you're away from home, you're up north, it's it's pouring down with rain, there's 20 minutes ago, and the game's dead, isn't it, really? Um, there's nothing like a <laughs> that kind of typical thing of, as a Rovers fan, looking out for the results when Burnley play one of those southern teams, you always think, they'll nick a 1-0 win, won't they? Because they always do, and... It had that kind of element to it when we went 2-0 up in the second half that, yeah, we'll probably will see this one out. Uh, and I think if you look at Reading historically, even though they beat us last season at Ewood in that midweek game, the first goal was a complete freak in the first minute of the game. And for the rest of the game, we, we really dominated the game and just came out on the wrong side of it. So, um, yeah. Really pleased with the win and, and, and good to kind of end the rot because that's what we spoke about last time was the Norse dives under Mowbray and tending to go on these really bad winless runs. And that's what's killed us under Mowbray, that if you take out those winless runs, obviously you can't do it at the end of a season, but if you take out those winless runs, we are a sixth, seventh, eighth team in the league. Um, and... That's kind of exactly where we are right now because we're one point off fifth. So, providing we don't go on another shocking run where we don't win in 10 or 8 or 12 or, uh, you know, one win in 14, it's, it's kind of expected to be where we are. Um, but obviously, as Rovers fans under Marbury, with five years' experience of this, we all know that that can happen. So, yeah, big relief to get the win on Saturday. But like I say, it's what comes next, isn't it? This is one win on the back of a five to six game iffy streak. And can we now build on this win? And can we 
um, go away to who were going away to, so Derby and and and, and other various other clubs leading up to Christmas, and can we capitalise on that? You know, you look at where we are in the league now. We're twelfth in the league, and you think, right, we've played fourteen matches, so we've got nine teams that we haven't played yet. And other than the top two, we've got to still play quite a lot of teams in the bottom half of the league. We've got to play Peterborough, we've got to play Birmingham, we've got to play Sheffield United, um, and, and there's others as well that don't spring straight to mind. Uh, and Derby, obviously, were bottom of the league, but are bottom under false pretenses with the 12-point deduction. So... It's it's a it's a really important win to rest the slide, but it's a win that only counts if we then go on to build on it. And obviously that'll only be discovered in the coming weeks leading up to Christmas, when the real key part of the season is played, as we all know, when the table finally reflects what what it should be and every team's played every other team and we then know where we stand. So yeah. Uh Marbury is safe for now. Uh, but you're only four games away from the sack in this league, and you're only four games away from the crowd turning on you as a manager. And in, in the same, same breath, though, you're only four games yeah. away from finding yourself in the playoffs. So it, it is a double-edged sword, isn't yeah. it? Oli, I spoke. We spoke a bit before about Gallagher, Brereton, and Dole, and we, we glossed over them. Just a brief word on them before we move on to some fewer questions. They've now matched their goal tally, their combined goal tally of last season after 14 games, and they weren't managed to hit that. They only managed to hit the same amount in 46 games. How pleasing has that been to see? Because, like you said, Gallagher's now scoring those tap ins, those Danny Graham type goals, those Jordan Rose type goals, where is that right place, right time? Where they aren't hard finishes, they're not going to be rolled out at the end of the season in, in Rose's goal of the season. Um, video package but the goals that are important goals those ones where you think he's there again and obviously Tyrese Dolan scored a magnificent goal and almost got himself a second against Reading and obviously Ben Burns we spoke about him enough on this podcast the past couple of weeks it's got to be pleasing hasn't it that front three now are combining to alleviate that pressure whereas last season it was very much the Adam Armstrong Harvey Elliott show with Ben Brereton, I think he scored seven last season. So it was it was mainly Elliot and Armstrong, wasn't it? Let's be real. If if they didn't produce, we struggled. Not the case this season, is it? Everyone's chipping in with goals, and you've got a front three that look dangerous when they're going forward. When they're on song, they look like they could score score past anyone and beat anyone. Yeah, it's um. First thing to say, it's a little bit of a surprise uh, i don't think any of us thought we wouldn't with sort of 14 games into the season and not be pining after adam armstrong's goals um which we you know having not signed a striker it was a worry but i think we all noted it before the season started um but yeah it's really really good um i think we've only i think this is right i think we've only blanked in two of 14 games and actually i think we scored in our first eight which we actually failed to do all of last season to score in eight games in a row i think that's right but the to me the most important thing has been like if you look the table 
the points total for sixth this season is probably going to potentially create a new low for finishing in the top six, which so it's kind of up for grabs. But, you know, with an ounce of consistency and a bit of good fortune with injuries, if you've got, you've, if we've got a strike force where the goals are shared around a bit and we can keep ticking over with goals, yeah, amazing. Um, if we can just keep it going. And I think, A, it's been a surprise anyway. And probably B, that we've adjusted slightly how we play. So we're not, you know, we're conceding possession of the ball. We are, we're still chasing down and trying to force errors and do quick turnovers high up the pitch. But also, we're, we've been very clinical. So that we're scoring more consistently than last season. It was, last season was a bit of an odd one. It's no good sort of winning 5-0, 4-0, and then not scoring for three games. You know, it's better. You're better off, kind of. Because a false sense, doesn't it, of the ability yeah. of the attack? Last season was very much oh five nil, five nil, and then one nil, one nil loss. I'd rather you, it's much better to be, you know, always getting one or two every game, home or away, because you put yourself in the mix to get points, um, regardless. Um, and that's what we've been doing all season, and it doesn't look doesn't show any signs of stopping just yet. So, um, yeah, I'd, credit to them individually, credit to Mowbray. Yeah, you can't not credit him. He sort of allowed Brereton to cement that position on the left side, even though Armstrong has left and clearly encouraged him to gamble, get himself in the box, try and score, um, which he's been doing. Gave Gallagher the berth down the middle. He, I'm not sure he'd have necessarily been my... Well, someone needed to try and play there. And as you say, he's scoring strikers' goals. And Dolan had a very good start, had a couple of tricky games where he wasn't quite as good. But then that goal he scored at the weekend against Reading, that's, again, they're sort of showing signs of maturing into players they probably should be. If Brereton is a wide forward, he needs to get goals. He started to get goals. Gallagher, no one ever knew really what he was, but if he thinks he's a central strike, if he thinks he's a nine, he's been played as a nine this season and he's scoring goals like a number nine. Great. Dolan, he's a tricky wide attacker, so he needs to assist goals. And he had, you know, he has started to chip in and he needs to cut inside and shoot. And he against Reading, cut inside and finds the bottom corner. That's they're all doing the things they should be doing if they're fulfilling. I guess no. that's what makes the contract situation. I don't want to talk about that anymore because we've beaten it to death. No point in flogging that dead <laughs> horse. But it, that, I guess that's what makes it all the more infuriating, isn't it? That you say you see these this team maturing a little bit, and you think if you could keep the nucleus of this squad together for maybe two more seasons, it could be one of them where almost like Brentford did, they grew and. In that growth, they finally got promoted. And I guess with the contract situation, it makes it that much more infuriating that we're not going to get to see this team stick together for longer than this season. Because we know that potentially, I think two definitely are leaving, potentially three or four. So, yeah. like you say, though, it's it's good to see them maturing. And, and I do agree with you in that. And look, I mean, that just on that, that you say, the. No, let's not go into this conversation, but we're not going to buy our way out of this division. If no. the way we get promoted is a, like a slow build, and like 
the only way you do it if a Brentford, a Brighton, who you know that kind of model, a Swansea, you need if you develop this squad of young players that are maturing, getting better, you have to keep that nucleus together. You're you're going to lose the odd one, Adam Armstrong. You lose the odd one who's at you know top top draw. Um, but that it's the slow build. Like you nearly make the playoffs, then you make the playoffs, it, and that's that's how we get out of the division. So the, the bit that hurts is if you get to that tipping point and then they, yeah. And then, and then you because lose of players. player choice, lack of money. Yeah. Poor timing of negotiating contract talks. You start to lose the best components it's, of a good team. It's infuriating. I think yeah. the, the concern is, is that we've seen it once before, haven't we? Yeah. And, and it, it did lead to the relegation in the end. You lost a couple of star players, but then, didn't replace them adequately and the other players' contracts ran down and, and it, it's the way it goes, isn't it? But we ended on a positive note, so I don't want to talk about that. To finish off, I'm going to answer some viewer questions. And although quite a few today, I'm just going to go through some of my favourites. Um, if I've not answered your question, I do apologise. I'm just very wary of time. Um, I think we've answered a few of them throughout the, the pod. Um, I just want a yes or no from this one, lads. Um, whether you'd enjoy doing it, something that you'd want to see Rovers do. Um, it's from the one and only Juice who asks, can we start a campaign for Rovers to tour Chile in pre-season? It would be a terrific way to promote the club and connect with the South American fan base developing via Diaz. Alex, uh, a Rovers South American pre-season tour, is that something that Rovers should be looking at to maximise the, um, the the Brereton-Diaz train, if you will? <laughs> Well, um, providing he's still here this time next season, then I don't see any reason why not. I mean, uh, I don't know how many Rovers will be afford afford the uh, travel fare, but I'll say yes, providing we play the Chilean team who play in blue and white halves. That would be something, wouldn't it? It's um, it'd be, be quite the the blue and white derby. Um, Cherry Robers asks, and Ollie, I'll throw this one to you. Would you sell on the Ambit and Lenhin in January if they don't sign new contracts? I guess you can almost extend that to Joe Rothwell and, and Bren Burton as well, can't you? Would you sell any of them, or is it is it too important we keep hold of them for the remainder of the season in the hope that somehow they produce something quite special? Would you just sell me one of them? Would you sell me? No, I think I think if we keep all four. I wonder whether people agree. If we were, let's split the four. If we think two are going or not going to sign, it's Rothwell and Nyambe. I think we've probably agreed in that. And that Lenehan and uh, Brereton are probably the more likely to sign. Um, I think I could cope. The one that I think we can cope with selling the easiest is Nyambe. And I'm, I don't want to get crucified for saying that, but I think... I think he's fair. I do. I, he's I don't he's replaceable. He's repa- we've yeah. got we've got replacements in the squad. Um, I think Rothwell, Brereton, Lenehan are very difficult to replace. I mean, you look when Lenehan doesn't play, we're shocking. <laughs> so when I, we cope without Nyambe a lot better I, than I, I, Alex. I know you're going to want to jump in. I'm not going to let you because I'm wary of time and you've got to run. But I do see what Ollie is saying. I think I think that with Nyambe, ranking Costello as a suitable replacement if he can stay fit. I know that's a big if because he's always injured. But I feel like 
he is good enough that you wouldn't... Whilst is a better defender and I think probably one of the best right-backs in the league, if not the best, it's the sort of thing that you can look at and think, oh, we can probably just about cope and it wouldn't impact us too much. Rothwell, huge loss. Lenihan, stats speak for themselves. Without Lenihan, we are... People don't seem to acknowledge it as much, but without Lenihan, we lose football matches. We win nowhere near as much. It was the same when we... Um, at the first season, back in the Championship, it was the same, the second, third, and it's the same this season. Two games we lost him. Granted, we didn't have a suitable replacement for him at the time because Van Heck was injured, but we are a, we are a poorer side without him. Um, and Brereton, at the moment, I don't think you can anyone can argue that he's not one of, if not the most important player that we have, given the goal scored. Certainly him and Rothwell. Um, together are quite the pair. So I'm sorry, Alex, I won't be giving you your say because I know you disagree, but we're at 57 minutes of this podcast. I'm very wary that I want to get off and have my tea. Um, so, and Ollie's got a baby to look after, so stop being so <laughs> selfish. Um, <laughs> moving on, though, you will get a say on this next question, Alex, if that's any consolation. Um, California Rover asks, and I guess probably it's going to be something like promotion. But what does TM have to do to earn another contract? Alex, throw this one to you. Don't mention Nyambi. Uh, good question. What does TM have to do to earn another contract? He has to persuade the Venkis. None of our opinions matter at the end of the day. That's the thing that we always kind of forget, that the Venkis don't care what we think. They will press ahead with whatever they want to do. And so... How does Marbury end a new contract? He puts a particularly persuasive um, proposal to Madame. And she uh, a strong end to the season wouldn't hurt him either, would it, if we ended up somehow getting promoted out of this league? So I think the, the option's there for him. I think, like you said before, Alex, the, the, his future's almost in his own hands. If he can uh, put something together really special and, and pull off a, this, a bit of a masterclass, if you will, he keeps his job. If not, then obviously I think we'll be looking elsewhere come the end of the season. So it'd be very interesting, I think, from a Robbers fan perspective, just seeing how he approaches it. I think Khalid would like to keep the job, or else he had left already. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, and Ollie, we'll finish with yourself. Um, just speaking about the, the depth, and it's one of Robbers' chats very own, Glenn Entwistle, who asks, what's the current depth shot like at centre-back with Ayala injured and Wharton returning? Obviously, Ayala went off in the game against Redden, didn't he? Um, Van Heck came on, though, and put in a decent enough performance. Wharton's obviously coming back. Are you pretty comfortable at the moment with Van Heck and Wharton as, as the backups to Ayala? And maybe even not the backup, maybe Van Heck going forward will be a, a mainstay of the eleven. Um First time I saw him in person was QPR. Um, he was all right. Yeah, not, you know, he wasn't quite. I remember watching Tosin's debut at Fulham and was. He was different, Gravy, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Within like five minutes, I was like, oh, wow, that's a player. Um, Howard Bellis was shocking, I think, his first game. Was it Barnsley? But, um, but yeah, obviously became a very, very good player for us. Um, no, he looked all right, to be fair. And I've got. Brighton produced too many good centre backs, and if he, if they think he's the next, you look at Dan Byrne, Ben White, Adam Webster. If he, if 
if we've got the next one who they think is, you know, in that mould, and he's looked he's looked decent enough the first first few times he's been on the pitch. So as long as Lenehan's there, I think we can probably just about get away with it. I think if I'm not sure how far Wharton's off. Do we know? I think he's getting. Ayala's just played a couple of, just his calf, wasn't it? He's yeah. He's, Ayala's got a tight calf, but obviously I think they have to nurse him for every single game, don't they? When Ayala um, has a tight muscle, it's uh Yeah, it tends to be a, a three-monther. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think Wharton's back now. I don't know if he's playing for the 23s tonight. I know Renko Costello is, so for what it's worth, recording on Monday, and the 23s are currently playing. Um, yeah, I know he's going to get an hour, isn't he? But then so it's, I'd, so if yeah. you think about it, Carter, you get to that position where if you've got a Nyambi issue, he's got, I think it's he's probably okay, I think. Nyambe, mm-hmm. I think he's probably going to be okay. But yeah, if you've got, because I think if you've got Rankin Costello to cover there, you've then got it then alleviates because then you can use Carter if you haven't got Van Heck, if you haven't Carter's, got Ayala. Carter's played well, to be fair. I don't think anyone. And I'm still, I mentioned it the other day. Um, if if it got really desperate, Bradley Johnson alongside Lenhan's not a disaster. Sorry, left sided. Yeah, that's if everyone was injured except Lenehan, then that's not that much of a disaster. Um, but the yeah, options are good. Just, just, just about could be better, but they're not as bad as they were. Yeah, for the Blackpool game. Um, and Alex, I can see the misery on your face after all his Nyambi comment about five minutes ago, but you're still not having your say because it'll go on forever. Mate, I'm sorry. You can have your say next time. I'm sure we'll record next week or in two weeks. Um, and you can you can give your rebuttal. We'll start, we'll start the podcast, especially for you to give your rebuttal. Um, and probably it'll go on for an hour anyway. So <laughs> with that being said, um, obviously I'd like to thank both Alex and Ollie for joining me today. It's a pleasure as always. More importantly, though, a huge thank you to, to you. Listen, you're the reason we do it. I know I say it every single week, but... We, don't, we wouldn't bother doing this if people weren't listening to it. Um, so thank you for supporting us and thank you for supporting all the content that we put on Rovers Chat. I know that we recently went to the Football Content Awards and obviously we were thrilled to, to come away with the, the, the silver. Um, next year we're going for gold, of course. But just the, the, the stuff that's been put out by the likes of Ryan and Joe and Andy and, and just everyone, really, um, that the content we've produced really has stepped up this past year. Um, probably since lockdown to be honest with you so just thank you for supporting all that it's been an absolute blast to produce for you and, and we really enjoy doing it so do keep watching do check out all the stuff i know ryan's put up a, a video with regards to the Q, uh, the qpr game the reading game even um a match day vlog type thing so be sure to check that out and all the stuff on youtube go and subscribe to that um, we really want obviously to grow that as much as we possibly can. And follow us on Twitter as well. That's where you find most of the content. Um, it all goes there. You see opinions from from um, Silent Dan, as people call him, on the Rovers chat page, as well as just general um, stats and stuff. So it's all, all good stuff and it's a good time. But yeah, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And until next time, goodbye. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below.
Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.